I'd encourage you to take your Bible, if you would, please, and turn to Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. We started this um, story, this account of Lot and his family a couple of weeks ago. And we want to finish that up today. Genesis chapter 19. I want to read the, the whole section so that we can get the, uh, the narrative here. Genesis chapter 19 and verse 1. Then the two angels came to Sodom in the evening as Lot was sitting in the gate of Sodom. Lot saw them and rose to meet them and bowed down with his face to the ground. And he said, now behold, my lords, please take uh, turn aside into your servant's house and spend the night and wash your feet. Then you will then you shall spend the night. Uh, I'm sorry. Then you will may rise early and go on your way. And they said, however, no, but we shall spend the night in the square. Yet he pressed them strongly. So they turned aside to him and entered his house and he made a feast for them and baked unleavened bread And they ate before they laid down. The men of the city, the men of Sodom, surrounded the house from young to old, all the people from every quarter. And they called to Lot and said to him, where are the men that came to you tonight? Bring them out that we may know them. But Lot went out to them at the doorway and shut the door behind him and said, please, my brother, do not act wickedly. Now, behold, I have two daughters who have not known a man. Please let me bring them out to you and do to them what is good in your eyes. Only do nothing to these men inasmuch as they have come under the shelter of my roof. But they said, step aside. Furthermore, they said, this one came to sojourn and already is persistently acting like a judge. Now we will treat you more wickedly than them so they passed they pressed hard against lot and stepped up to break the door but the men reached out their hand and brought lot into the house with them and shut the door and they struck the men who were at the doorway of the house with blindness from small to great so that they wearied themselves trying to find the door The two men said to Lot, whom else have you here? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and everyone you have in the city. Bring them out of the place. For we are about to destroy this place because the cry has become great because uh, before Yahweh. So Yahweh sent us to destroy it. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-laws who were marrying his daughters who went to marry his daughters and said, get up, get out of this place for Yahweh will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. Now, at the waking of dawn, breaking of dawn, the angels urged Lot saying, get up, take your wife and and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of the city. But he hesitated. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters. For the compassion of Yahweh was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. Now it happened as they brought him outside. 
One said, escape for your life. Do not look back. Do not look behind you. And do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, lest you be swept away. But Lot said to them, oh, no, my lords. Now, behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. And you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown me by preserving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to, and it is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small that my life may be preserved? And he said to him, behold, I grant this request also so that that I will not overthrow the city of which you have spoken. Hurry, escape there, for I can do Nothing until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city is, is called Zor. The sun had risen over the earth when Lot came to Zor. And Yahweh rained on Sodom and Gomorrah, brimstone and fire, from Yahweh out of heaven. And he overthrew the, those cities and all of the valley and all of the inhabitants of the cities and what grew on the ground. Then his wife... From behind him, looked back, and she became a pillar of salt. Now Abraham arose early in the morning and went to the place where he had stood before Yahweh. And he looked down toward Sodom and Gomorrah and toward all of the the land of the valley. And he saw, and behold, the smoke of the land went up like the smoke of a furnace. Thus Thus it happened when Yahweh destroyed the city of the valley. And God, that God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the city in which Lot lived. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. I pray that this account of Lot, a believer, would uh, give it a, a, an account for us to learn, uh, us to, to be warned. I pray that it would be applied to our heart as we can. Lord, we thank you for your word and the guidance that it gives our life. We pray your blessing on our time and the reading of your word. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Now, this is a passage that's very alarming and it's used as an alarm throughout Scripture. We see that the apostles used it to warn uh, Israel The apostles used it to warn the church in the New Testament. Christ even used it to warn the apostles. This is an alarming passage on many different levels. It's just shocking in many ways. None the least is the sinfulness of man. How depraved man can be. And the wickedness of man. How low man can go. And the power of sin that, that sin can have in a person's life. That sin is enslaving Man, as well as we see the the wrath of God upon that sin. Now, the story starts, the account starts in chapter 17 when God came to visit Abraham and he had two angels with him and he uh, explained to Abraham what he was going to do, that he was going to destroy these two cities and he gave Abraham then an opportunity to plead for mercy and that's what Abraham did. He pleaded 
God down to ten righteous people in the city. And God agreed. If there's ten righteous in the city, I will not destroy the city. But we see that there was not ten righteous in the city. And it turned out then to be a rescue mission of Lot and his family. And the purpose that Moses is including this account into uh, this uh, into Scripture here, Moses is the one that wrote it, is to show God's loving kindness and His hand on Abraham and Abraham's family, and that would include Lot. This is, Lot was Abraham's nephew. And it introduces us to Lot and, and explains a little bit more about his, his character, what Lot is like. Now, the children of Israel are going to need to know this because they're going to be dealing with the descendants of Lot who are... The Moabite people, and as they go into the land uh, of promise, the promised land, as they conquer, they're going to be confronted by these Moabite people. And they they need to know who these people are. For us, this is an account that's a, a good representation of the power of sin, the enslaving power of sin. And the storyline has uh, it can be divided into six scenes. Like Hollywood, if you're watching a, a movie, there would be this scene and it would jump to this scene and then it would jump to this scene to tell the story. And that's the way this is, uh, this story, this account is, is given here. And we first, a couple of weeks ago, we came and saw the first two scenes and it was Lot's hospitality and it was at the city gates and it was a rescue from the wicked city. These two angels then come into the city and they say, well, they just proclaim, we're going to just stay in the square. And, uh, uh, of course, Lot did not want them to do that. But it was their job to verify the, the sinfulness, the wickedness of this city. And Lot urged them and, and they finally came in. But Lot wanted to get them out of the public eye as quickly as possible because he knew what was going to happen. He knew the, the routine of that city. And so that's our our first uh uh, understanding of sin here is that it, it grips us. It, it had gripped this city um, to the point that it, routinely he knew what was going to happen that night. And so he warned them. He wanted to get them out. The, the nightlife was not the night, the life that they wanted to be a part of. And sin does that. It enslaves us. And it was night after night slaving these men. And then we see... Sins, uh, the, the Sodom's sin, and this is back in uh, at Lot's house, on the outside of Lot's house. And this is the verification of the wickedness of this city. And we saw that in verses 4, four to, to verse 11, that just like Lot expected that night, just at the, the right time, all of these men come out of their house, surround Lot's house, and demanded that, they, that Lot give them these two men. And, of course, this was going to be just a a, a rape, a force, taking these men by force. And we see the grip of sin here in that these men, even when they were struck by blindness, they were still groping at the door trying to get in. Sin held them. Sin sin held them by their lust. And and it shows that sin's enslaving power right there. They, they, they could have just turned around, but they, they kept on going because of sin driving them. And the, the sin of Sodom then is that we see here is homosexuality. 
It, it is. Now, I know that people want to change that and, and uh, reinterpret Scripture today, but Scripture does not say that. Some people would say that, uh, no, the, the sin of, uh, of uh, Sodom and Gomorrah is the sin of, of lack of hospitality. But that's not what we see. Or they would say it's, it's just the, the, vin, uh, the violence that was going to take place, the, the potential rape of these two, these two men. But no, Scripture is clear. God is against homosexuality, and that was the sin of Sodom. And scripture calls it going after strange flesh. It's unnatural. It goes against natural law. And we saw these. Uh, we looked at this last time. Leviticus 18 is an abomination. Uh, verse uh, chapter 20, it was, uh, a, uh, it was warranted the, the, the death penalty. In the New Testament, we see that those who commit, and it gives us a list of sin, homosexuality being one of those sins, that they will not inherit the kingdom of God. And then 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, is that it, it goes against sound teaching sound doctrine, so that you there cannot be a Christian homosexual. It's just not seen in Scripture, but we're being uh, sold that today. And some they, they would just go on to say, well, God is pro-love, isn't He? He's a God of love. And, and two people who love each other, it shouldn't matter. Because love is elevated. Or they would say, you know, God wouldn't God had made me this way. This is just the way I am. Or, or they may say, um, I can't deny my feelings. That would be inauthentic. And that would be the worst sin of all. But God calls us to self-denial, doesn't He? He calls us to deny self and take up our cross and follow Christ. We yield, we yield our desires of the flesh to Him. Now, is homosexuality then the worst sin in the world? No. In fact, did, did God destroy uh, Sodom and Gomorrah just for the sin of homosexuality? I don't, I don't think so. That might be a stretch. This, I think, is a Romans 1 type situation. I want, to, I want to lay this out for you. So if you want to turn over to Romans 1, I want you to see this passage so that we can understand it. Because this is such a prevalent sin in our day. We, we need to understand this. In Romans chapter 1... In verse 18, it sets the tone here for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and, and people suppressing the truth. So this is the, the setting here is divine judgment and the way God judges is a in this situation is a passive judgment. And it really starts this downward spiral, this chain, this downward spiral of, of sin and gripping of sin starts in verse 21. He says this, Romans chapter 1, verse 21, For even though they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God. They're, they're beginning to reject God, and it starts in their thinking. Or give thanks. So, so they, they didn't glorify Him as God. They did not give thanks to Him in His rightful place. But they became futile in their thinking. Now that's the starting place. God says, okay, you want to reject me? You, you have no grounds, no basis on which you, you have any kind of moral authority and you become futile in your thinking and they, and their foolish hearts were darkened. And that's where again, that's the starting place. And they professed to be wise, they became fools. Now the fool has said in his heart, there is no God. Remember? In the book of Proverbs, and they exchanged the glory of 
the incorruptible of God, for the image and the likeness of the corruptible man. Essentially, it turns into idol worship. They, they're worshiping themselves. So therefore, verse 24, God gave them over to, in the lust of their heart, to impurities. So they, they reject God. They want to pursue this. And God says, okay, I'm going to give you over then to impurities. Now, notice, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. And they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped the creature rather than the creator. Verse 26. For this reason, God gave them over. That's the key term. He continues to give them over. His hand of grace is being pulled away. And they just continue to follow their sinfulness. Over, he gave them over to dishonorable passions. And that's what we see, isn't it? That's the drive that we see in Sodom and Gomorrah, that this dishonorable passions. And here's the way it is seen. It says for, and here's the example of it, for their, uh, their females exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And even in the same way, also the male abandoned the natural function of the female and burned in their desire toward one another, male with male, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the dual penalty of their error. So God gave them over to their own passions, to their own drives and lusts, and that's where they go. The ultimately then, verse 28 and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God anymore, so they completely uh, 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 abandoned God, reinvented a world without God. God gave them over to an unfit mind. They didn't know up from down. Morally, they just completely bankrupt, and they could not think properly. And and that then is a proper view of homosexuality. And what we see here is, is, is it, it's just another sin, but it seems to be a, a benchmark as well. And it's, it's one, of, one of many sins, but it seems to be a benchmark in a society. It, it's a, a thermostat or, or some kind of gauge that we see here, that this giving them over to their own passions. And the symptoms of, God re, of them rejecting God and turning to their own uh, pursuing their own lusts, God's pulling back His hand of grace upon them, and they, and the symptoms of that is homosexuality. They just go uh, uh, and do the things that they want to do. Does that mean then that we hate homosexuals? And as believers, should we uh, all of our vengeance be against them and we hate them? No, not at all. They're, they're just a product of, of society. They have rejected God and they are enslaved to sin just like everyone else. They're just enslaved to sin. We have a, a society now just completely rejecting God and we see them going to various lusts and being enslaved to various sins. And that's the way sin is. It grips us with our own desires, with our own passions, with our own drives, and that's, that's the, the holding power of sin. It's like a, in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 5, Solomon said, Thorns and, and snares are in the way of the perverse. 
That, that means a snare is, is something that, that grabs you and, and won't let you go. And that's sin. It, it, it's like a claw or it pulls and, and it hangs on. That You think you're free and you're not going to go. You may have some freedom here, but you're not going to go outside that. You're, you're caught. And that's the idea. And that's the principle, isn't it? Sin is much more enslaving than we want to recognize many times. And it's for believers, sin is not to be played with. It is much more dangerous than we think. And it's to be completely rejected. Now let's go into the third scene. So we saw the first two scenes. Now let's go to the third scene. Back in Genesis chapter 19. So these angels pulled pulled Lot into the house, rescuing him. They uh, struck the men at the door with blindness. In verse 12, what we see then, the second, the third scene is Lot's family. It's a conversation between Lot and his sons-in-laws, but this is a failed rescue attempt. Look at verse 12. Then the two men said to Lot, whom have you in, whom else have you in the city? A son-in-law and your sons and your daughters and everyone you have in the city. Bring them out of this place. Now the expectation seems to be that there's there's others in the city lot that you have influenced. Bring them out. Bring them to us here. And we'll take them outside of the city. Verse thirteen. For we are about to destroy this place because of their outcry. And I like the way he puts that. The sin of this city is so great. It's like a blaring speaker in God's mind. It's just it's just an outcry it's become great before Yahweh. So Yahweh sent us to destroy it. Now, notice, I want to just point out something that seemed to be minor, but uh, th- this is going to be a family unit. Lot being the, the patriarch of the family, everyone that his, is under him is protected and they are going to be taken out as a, as a family. In the Middle East, they would have uh, had arranged marriage and maybe even at a young age, his daughters would have been promised to... T- to uh, Two young guys. And so he goes and, and talks to these two young men. Look at verse 14. And Lot went out and spoke to his sons-in-law, who were to marry his daughters, and said, Get up, get out of this place, for Yahweh will destroy the city. But he appeared to his sons-in-laws to be jesting. That's heartbreaking. I mean, that, that, that's an amazing statement. Oh, oh, that that lot. He's just such a kidder. What a prank. What a what a good one. He's trying to pull over on us. And lots sons-in-laws treated his words as a joke. Now, can you imagine that divine judgment, folks, is not a joke. It's not a joke. It's it's a very sobering thing. And you have to ask the question, what kind of family dynamic did, did Lot provide for his family? What kind of family dynamic did he have here? Is it just fun and jovial and exciting? Or what about the dynamic of the city, the, the culture of the sp- city? We just uh, seeing on uh, the news that there's been a lot of uh, spring break, uh, kids on spring break, and so they're interviewing these kids down in, uh, at the beach, and, and it's just, just a, a free-for-all kind of atmosphere. Uh, drunkenness and marijuana and, and just just kind of out of their mind. They're not thinking clearly. There was one illustration, one 
girl asked who the president was, and she had no idea who the president was. Now, she may be smoking something or whatever. But they just didn't know. They don't know. And they reject Lot because they think that he is, that he is joking. And it has to be probably the, the biggest regret that, that Lot has. That he could not persuade them. And this is a matter, I think, this is a matter of influence. That, that Lot has, has lost his influence. And, and because of that, it, they, they reject Lot and his, his request. Now, I don't know what was going on with Lot. I don't know what, what was happening there. But his sons-in-laws were deceived. And this is where the grip of sin, I think, we can see. They, they were deceived under the influence, not Lot's influence, but the influence of the culture around them. And I think that's where you see the, the grip of sin. And it's blinding. It, it held them because they, they were just blinded to the, the truth. They're just thinking it was a joke. Just deceived. They couldn't be persuaded. Now, that's a, a scary thing to, to not have the influence that you need. A Christian not having an influence in the world. We're called to have an influence in the world. But I, I'm afraid that the American church is... is Quickly losing any kind of influence that we may have. Contemporary worship has is, is just become a joke these days. And it has turned the church into just to a, a fun kind of atmosphere. Entertaining kind of atmosphere. Just a very casual, emotionally driven, experiential kind of atmosphere. And we wind up trying to entertain the world. And that's just the opposite of what the world needs. The world doesn't need more entertainment. In fact, in the New Testament, Paul said if, if someone comes in, an unbeliever comes into your church, they should be shocked about how sober it is. And they were driven to their knees in repentance. That's, that's just the opposite of what we see in the church today. In fact, what we see is the church is not taking its responsibility seriously. It's almost a joke. In the past, the churches were built Upon the Word of God, the teaching and the preaching of the Word of God, teaching truth, teaching about sin and, and judgment, the Holy Spirit working, convicting a heart, one person at a time. There was respect. There was a fear of God. It was a matter of life and death. That's sobering. But now, now, it's just, it's not. It's, it's a joke. Churches are built upon a uh, a Christian concert feel. They, they come together for the emotional experience of it. Not, not truth, but the emotional experience. And, and it brings in the masses. And, and so the church is it's just a, a joke. We've lost our influence, I think. We're called to be salt and light. We're, we're a city that's set on a hill. Light uh, provides a, a direction for the world. Here's the direction you need to go. Salt is a preserving element from sin, from the decay of sin. A city that's set on a hill, we're to set an example to the world. This is the, this is what you were, this is the way you are to live before a holy and righteous God. So in this passage, we see it's the, the danger of losing your influence. And again, I think this is gonna, this is probably one of Lot's greatest regrets. He had very little to no influence. It's a failed attempt. Now, scene four. Scene four, then, 
we see that the angels are back at Lot's house in verse 15. And this is a forceful rescue. In verse 15, he says, Now at the breaking at the breaking of dawn, the angels urged Lot, saying, Get up, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be swept away with the punishment of the city. Now, I can't believe that they had to wake Lot up. I mean, that's amazing to me. I can't believe that they would be able to go to sleep after that harrowing night. But apparently they felt secure enough to go to sleep. Now, these next three words are shocking here. But he hesitated, verse 16. So the men seized his hand and the hand of his wife and the hand of his hands of his two daughters for the compassion of Yahweh was upon him. And they brought him out and put him outside the city. Now it happened as they brought him outside. One said, escape for your life. Do not look behind you and do not stay anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains lest you be swept away. But then Lot, he delays. He wants to kind of negotiate here. There's, there's some reluctance here that, that's just spellbounding to me in verse 18. But Lot said to them, Oh no, my lords. <clears throat> now behold, your servant has found favor in your sight. You've been gracious to me up to this point, And you have magnified your loving kindness, which you have shown to me by preserving my life. But I cannot escape to the mountains, lest calamity overtake me and I die. Now behold, this town is near enough to flee to. It is small. Please let me escape there. Is it not small? Lest my life be preserved. That my life be preserved. And he said to him, Behold, I grant you this request also, that I will not overthrow the city which you have spoken. He says, Hurry, escape there, for I cannot do anything unless you, and until you arrive there. Therefore, the name of the city was called Zor, which is a small. This is just, this is just unbelievable here. Uh, they had to take Lot by the hand, his two daughters, his wife by the hand, and lead them out of the city. Escape for your life. And Lot, even then, is still trying to negotiate with these men. And which is a, an amazing feat. But Abraham had pleaded for Lot. Remember? Abraham pleaded for Lot. God had compassion on Lot. And these two angels now were, were urging Lot and telling him, we're going to destroy this city. But Lot hesitates. Lot hesitates. He sees this sinfulness. He knows the sinfulness of the city. And he knows God's going to destroy it. But there's something that has gripped him. Some kind of allure here. Why, why the delay? And, and I think this is just, this is the way sin works. There's a gripping and alluring, some kind of a draw to, to this city. Now, we can't be too hard on Lot. We know in Second Peter that he is a, a righteous man. But he's in a position that he should not be. Uh, but he doesn't have the completed word of God that we have today. We can read in 1 John chapter 2, do not love the world or anything in the world. Right? In a Christians, we don't sin. We don't cross that barrier. But sometimes we're like children. We come up right to the window. And we look in. We, 
we kind of think, man, that would be so cool. I would like to do that. If I was a sinner, boy, I would, I would certainly do that. And, and it, there seems to be this flirtation that Lot has with Sodom. And there's a, a desire, there's a, a draw, there's a, there's a going up to the line, looking in the candy store and wanting the candy, but, but not actually taking the candy. There's something there. It's like me going through the mall. Okay? When I go through the mall, I can't look towards Cinnabon. Okay? I just have to, because I know that draw. If I go, if I go past, uh, what is the, the cookie factory or, or, or one of those cookies. Man, there's a draw there, isn't there? And that draw can hold you. You can go. You, you may not have one penny in your pocket, but you'll go and you'll look at those cookies. You'll go and look at that Cinnabon. Or even now, well, you can't, but uh, they've taken Chick-fil-A out. But man, you go and at least look at the, the chicken sandwich. There's a draw. Now, what is it? What is it that... That was going on here. We don't we don't know completely with with a lot uh, with what's going on in Lot's life, <clears throat> but there is a reluctance. There is something that draws. Maybe he just enjoys the culture. Maybe he enjoys that nightlife. He doesn't participate, but man, it just the the atmosphere is just fun and exciting. Maybe it's a, an environment of self fulfillment. Maybe it's in a, in a, 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 a comfort that the city can bring a, a little, uh, just a more comfortable life. I mean, it's, it's not so bad. Maybe it has great food. Maybe the music is good. Maybe there's just lots of laughter. But there's some kind of draw, folks. The world can be that way to us. Some kind of draw. I know um, where I work out... Um, Planet Fitness, they have this slogan. It's a judgment-free zone. Maybe it's that. Maybe I can live there. And, and, and Abraham's not there to judge me. There's no other Christians to, to judge me. Just self-fulfillment. And, and these, uh, these angels, they, they have to be sensing an urgency here. Sometimes you're scrolling through Facebook and you see these little clips about uh, with these, uh, these guys trying to, to rescue this deer. It has huge uh, antlers. <clears throat> They're trying to pull this thing out, but it's dangerous because those antlers can can get you. And that's it. And you wanting you wanting them to win, and it's hard work. And these these angels are they're pulling law. They're saying, "Come on, do you not understand? At least try here." And I think there's something holding lot, and that desire I think is what holds. And it's a dangerous thing. The grip of of sin. It, it's a, a flirtation. With Sodom. A flirtation with Sodom. Now there's nothing wrong. I'll just say this. We can't isolate ourselves from the world. There's nothing wrong with Lot being in Sodom. Okay? I'll say that. Now that's a little shocking. Because I as a Christian. I don't know that I could live there. There's nothing wrong. Let's say that. There's nothing wrong with Lot living in Sodom. But there's everything wrong with Sodom being in Lot. And I think that's the, the desire. I think there's that, that lure there. Maybe he, he goes right up to the line. He doesn't, doesn't cross that line of sin. But man, there's a, there's a draw there. There's something there that just draws and holds, holds lot. 
And same for us, folks. We, we don't cross the line. We're good people. But man, sometimes there's a desire there. The world has an allure to us. And, and we dare not. We dare not. We, we, we have to live in this world. The Lord has put us in this world. But we have to have an influence on the world. We can't afford to have the world in us. The, the world's system, the way the world thinks. We have to have a biblical frame of, of reference, a biblical worldview. We can't take on the world's attitudes. Now, sometimes we watch commercials. And, and the attitudes of those commercials, they kind of rub off on us. You, you hear a country music song. I like country music songs. Some of them are great songs. But I'm telling you, they have a whole philosophy that can, that, that's appealing. We, we cannot take on the world's attitudes. We can't take on the world's cravings, the world's value systems, the world's priorities. We can't take on escapism like the world has. And that's what it is. This whole drug culture, it's just escapism. We can't take on the world's materialism. We can't take on the world's pragmatism. Just living practically. No, we are, we are driven by principles, not pragmatics. We cannot live, cannot live like the world. The world cannot be in Sodom. Or the world cannot be in Lot. But there's an allure there. There's an allure. It's, it's heartbreaking to see. Now, our time is, is fleeting. I just want to... We'll, we'll stop right here, but I want to remind you of just this passage that was read for us earlier. And so I want you to skip down to Romans chapter 1. I'm sorry, Romans chapter 6. Romans chapter 6. And I just want to remind us of this verse. We've got two more points. So come back next week. But Romans chapter 6. Let me just remind you of this Here's the good news, folks. Here's the good news. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 and 18. But thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. He changes us. Thanks be to God that though we were slaves of sin, we were slaves of sin and obeyed from the heart. We wanted it. There was that desire. That pattern of teaching to which we were given over. And having been freed from sin, we became slaves of righteousness. Now Carl Dingus feels uncomfortable in the world. Now Carl Dingus is, has different convictions than the world. We, have, we are freed from that sinfulness. We're freed to righteousness. We're enslaved actually to righteousness. It drives us. It holds us. I cannot not... I feel bad when I, when I commit sin. As opposed to being just freed and loving that sin. And folks, that's the good news of the gospel. That's what God does. He frees us from that sin. From the enslavement of sin. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, it's hard for us to imagine... Lot being in this wicked city. Lord, I'm glad that you put him through this so that we can see that there's danger there. There's things to avoid. Lord, he, he was 
probably weak in his faith. The Lord, he's in this bad situation. Lord, help us to pray the prayer that Christ told us to pray, that, to avoid, that, that you would lead us not into temptation, but to deliver us from the evil one. Oh, Lord, we're in this world. Lord, I pray that you keep our influence strong. May we influence the world and not be influenced by the world. And then, the Lord, may we just think biblically. May we pursue and look at things biblically. Lord, thank you for your hand of protection. Thank you for freeing us from sin. Thank you for enslaving us to righteousness. We're not perfect, but boy, our desires have completely changed. And and thank you for that, Lord. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.